What's up, guys? It's Eddie Laughlin, co-founder of Shotgun House Coffee Roasters, and you're listening to Building Something Out of Nothing, a small business podcast right here in San Antonio. My first guest is Jacob, founder of Quick Sip Coffee, and he tells us how selling bottles of cold brew out of his backpack turned into a fledgling and now successful cold brew business here in San Antonio. Enjoy. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. So I think the last time, you were actually, a lot of people don't know this, but you were one of the very first people to see the warehouse when we were building that out. Yeah. And it was you and your business partner at the time, and y'all came, what, we were still probably, what, like a month out? Yeah. Was it two months out? Mm-hmm. And y'all were looking for, I think, maybe a different roaster at the time, or whatever it was, and we just kind of had a conversation to like build a relationship, and then we both just got incredibly busy, Yeah. and it's like a year a year and a half later now, we're finally like reconvening to talk about the company, but uh, since then, y'all have grown, we've grown, we have two coffee shops now, um, we built up wholesale a little bit, and um, y'all have some new branding, and you're in some new markets, retail, offices. Um, last I saw, you had won a competition with Trinity University, and so you got a big check from them, yeah. some funding and stuff like that, so it seems like a lot of exciting things are happening. Um, but yeah, man, let's back up a little bit and talk about Quick Sip Coffee, how everything got started, and you know, from what I understand, it was kind of a Trinity University, like an entrepreneurship project, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, kind of even back a little bit further, I got into entrepreneurship um, senior year of high school, just listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos of social media marketing entrepreneurs, kind of the typical way to get into it. Um, started a couple businesses, a clothing company, social media marketing company that both failed within a week. Um, That's how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it made me realize that I needed to take a more methodical approach to business, um, not just kind of jump into it just because I've been watching YouTube videos. Um, so when I got to Trinity, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the entrepreneurship program, um, which is an entire degree program. And I took the first class and I said, you know what, I'm just going to give in let them kind of guide me through the process of making a lean canvas and things like that to actually get a real business off the ground. Um, and at the time, I was really interested in what Mark Cuban had done really early on in his career of starting a bar during college. Uh-huh. Um, and near Trinity, there wasn't really a high-quality bar or coffee shop. Okay. Um, in terms of my opinion and some of the the opinions of well, the, Trinity is kind of like an almost like an isolated yeah. little space over there. It's exactly. really pretty. I live right by it. But yeah, it's kind of feels like it's up in the hills and it's all by its lonesome. And so, yeah, so you wanted to create something that was more community-based with Trinity. Exactly, exactly. And I wanted a lot of the, the students at Trinity were really focused on quality in terms of the, the culinary experience, right? Like they were going to the Pearl all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like that wasn't necessary because there's literally an entire strip of bars and restaurants within walking distance of Trinity. For sure. So why wasn't there a high-quality bar or coffee experience, in a sense? Absolutely. So when I started, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to start a bar. It's going to be super high-quality, um, really focused on that college-age demographic. Okay. Um, and then, obviously, with a bar, you only make revenue from, what, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m.? Exactly. So how do you make revenue throughout the entire day? Okay. Starting a coffee shop as well. Um, so I was going to do a coffee shop in the morning, bar at night, similar to Halcyon. And where um, was this going to be located? On South St. Mary Street. Oh, okay, wow. Or north. Uh, so whichever. the Strip. Yeah, the Strip. Right on the Strip. Okay, exactly. Cool. So it would be within walking distance to Trinity. Um, and it, the idea of it was it would be kind of your first stop before you go out for the night. So it would be very quick service, but also an extremely 
culinary focused experience. So when you're getting your coffee, you're getting a single origin specialty coffee. Right. Um, however fast you want to drink it, but it wasn't really a place to sit down. Okay. Um, it was just like, okay, I'm getting a cup of coffee before I go to work, and I know it's going to be the best damn cup of coffee I'm going to get on the strip. Awesome. Similar with the cocktails um, or beers. Like, I'm going to go get a beer from here. This is where I'm going to start my night. It's going to be a damn good beer, and then I'm going to walk on. So it was going to be essentially at the top of the strip. So if you're really close to Trinity University, but then you could hit that maybe when you left class or whatever to get exactly. a cocktail and then go to the rest of the, the strip with the other 15 bars or whatever. Exactly, right? Because it wasn't necessarily the end of the journey. It was like the means to the end, right? Yeah. So when you're going out in the morning for coffee, your end is work. Okay. The means to the end is a great cup of coffee. So how did the, the bar part get mixed? Yeah. Um, so very quickly, actually. I met a lot of people through the network of Trinity, which is awesome, um, both in the bar industry, uh, the brewing industry, and then also the coffee industry. Okay. Um, and I just started knocking on bar and brewery doors uh, at, what, 19 at the time? Mm -hmm. And they were like, what the hell are you doing here? I don't understand like what you're trying to do. You're too young. You don't have any money. Have any money, um, and that was kind of the clue of okay, I don't think I can do this on, on my own. Right. Um, so so we need to scale back a little bit. Right. And start small. Exactly. So I started getting invested in the coffee community because those were the people who really listened and understood. Oh yeah. Um, because I was of age to sell coffee, um, and also I think. The education factor of coffee was way larger than bars or breweries. I think people are maybe a little bit more passionate about that, you know, especially and and even at a younger age, uh, people are really into like the craft coffee scene right now. Exactly, exactly. It fit me more. It fit the demographic we're trying to sell to more. Um, So I started focusing on that and really, really got invested in the community um, and just learned as much as I could and. The more I learned, the more I realized I needed to be working in coffee and not so much this coffee bar concept. So from bars went to coffee, and then from coffee, somehow you whittled it down to cold brew. Exactly. How did you get all the way down to cold brew? Uh, it was definitely capital. Uh, yeah. So starting a, a coffee shop, as you know, is extremely expensive, yes. um, and just the planning of it is a lot of work. It can um, be overwhelming, absolutely. Exactly. So I actually met James from Pulp Coffee Um Great roaster, absolutely love him. Super nice guy. Super nice guy, and willing to teach anyone. And I kind of nestled myself in his shop uh, as much as I could, and learned about the process of, you know, picking coffees, roasting coffees, brewing them. And at the time, he was brewing a, a bottled single origin cold brew, and I tasted it, and it was just this amazing experience that oh, yeah. I had never had with coffee. Because I was drinking Folgers or Cured Brews. And I feel like everybody... So was that your first, like, real specialty coffee? It was my experience where you're like, whoa, that's way different than anything I've ever had. Because everybody remembers that experience. Yep. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And Pulp would be a great place to have it, for Mm -hmm. sure. That's exactly what happened. And I I knew I needed to share that experience with more people. Um, Being an athlete in college and then also just being a discerning consumer of food... Mm -hmm. It was amazing to me that I had never had this experience with coffee, and I wanted to make sure that everyone around me, my age, older, whatever, knew that the, there was such a higher capability of coffee exactly. than what they were buying every single day. It's almost like what happened with craft beer in the '90s. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and and so you want to, and you want people, you know, because once you have it, and then you think, okay, 
how can we make this more accessible to everyone else? Because yep. everyone can can have this. They have it in San Antonio at many coffee shops, at Shotgun, at Estate, at Pulp, you know, at Merit. But still, not everyone knows to go. You know, they can go out there and get that type of experience, and yep. it's wanting to educate the public on that and mm-hmm. um, finding that avenue, which I think through a bottle of cold brew is a really cool idea. Yeah, and so that's kind of where where it started. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I wanted. So the two things I found were the issues with great coffee for the general consumer were capital investment and then also time. So in order to brew a single origin cup of coffee, I mean, it can get real simple with a pour over and stuff like that. Right. But even so, it costs anywhere from 30 to $50 to get a good pour over set up to actually make with coffee every morning. Mm-hmm. And then to make a pour over coffee every morning, it's what? Anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how good you are. And you have to know what you're doing. Exactly. You know, that can be difficult. And that ranges from coffee to coffee, Mm -hmm. you know. Yep, yep. Changing the grind size, um, learning the different intricacies of each origin. I mean, it can get really deep. And I wanted to bring that complexity in the simplest form to consumers. Which was bottled cold brew. Yeah, you grab it and you drink it. Exactly. They have no work, but they still get that coffee experience that they would get at any shop in town. So you knew you wanted to do cold brew at this point. You kind of had that idea and you thought that's the direction you wanted to go. So how did you come up? Did Pulp help you figure out your, you know, what your formula was going to be? And how did you come up with the first two classic flavors that you've had, which are the Texican and, and what's the other one? Uh, the Native. The Native. Yeah. yeah. So how would you come up with those two and, and, and you know, how that process take off? Yeah. So as I started drinking more of, of Pulp's coffee, um, we... And I say we, me and my business partner at the time, started looking at what was on the shelf already. Um, we tasted all of the coffees um, on the retail shelf, all ready to drink ones. And the best one was Blue Bottle Coffee, um, out from the Bay Area. Blue Bottle is solid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Best, I would say best cold brew on the market at the time. Okay. Um, and when I, when I tasted it, it was super light, super fruity. I didn't know what bean was in it, but I knew that I wanted to emulate that type of experience okay um because it was very different it was tea like right um which at on the market at the time majority was super dark roasted super dark roasted coffee um really hurt your mouth almost like burnt yeah like super carbony it's like yep and i think that's what people still think of when they think of cold brew and now it's like you know here at the shop it's more like floral and, Mm -hmm. and light and that's what you know fruity that's what a lot of people are doing now so that's what you were doing with your Ethiopian that was kind of the idea yeah yeah so that's how the native started which um, in the beginning was called the original um, right for um, our company I remember that um, so that's where we we started off with and what we quickly quickly realized was people weren't educated enough to understand that that was a good cup of coffee exactly. so they drink it and they'd be like whoa this is really weird like tastes like flowers yeah something, something's wrong with this yeah, yeah like why does it taste like right. this and we did get a lot of consumers that did switch over um, from kind of the folders to this new specialty experience, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool to see, but I wanted to educate even more people. So how do you get the people who are drinking um, vanilla, sugary, creamy, cold brews that are being sold mass market? You start, to... you start with an entry level. Exactly. Right. So you start with this kind of crossover coffee, which became the Texican. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to have that full body flavor of... A Mexican bean that was more of an entry-level taste profile than okay. an Ethiopian, but then also I wanted it to be a little bit flavored um, so that they didn't feel like they were moving too far away from their comfort zone. 
And the flavor you put in that was cinnamon. Cinnamon, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, a Mexican, a washed Mexican coffee brewed with cinnamon. And what I realized um, from my girlfriend actually, because she's from Mexico, uh, was that's very similar to Café de Olla. Uh, so yeah. that was really cool for us because we were able to kind of seat ourselves in the San Antonio culture, okay. which was something I wanted to do too. Because I think cool. the Ethiopian was way more coastal thing. Oh, yeah. So whether it be New York or California. For sure. San Antonians can get behind some cinnamon coffee, for right? sure. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But it was just enough of a, a shift from kind of that mass market coffee to specialty coffee that people were comfortable with it. So were you tinkering with all this, like, in your dorm room? Yeah. Like, on the floor? Like, how are you, yeah. you doing this? That's exactly what I was doing. So, I mean, looking back very interesting and I'm glad people trusted me but I mean I was brewing coffee in my dorm room on a little one gallon toddy Mm -hmm. um, brewer and bottling it at home and then eventually moved the entire process to my parents house uh, brewing larger batches um, and then to the point where we were just busting out of our uh, kitchen in the house so so once you decided you wanted to move to a larger space or whatever it was, you know, did you think, okay, I need to get funding? Yeah, I know you would eventually competed in this like entrepreneurial competition and won some money that way. But yeah. you know, kind of where did your funding come from? Where you know, and how did you grow the operation? Yeah. Um, so the early funding came from just selling bottles out of my backpack. Oh um, yeah. So I mean, we were selling to, to students. Yeah, to students on Trinity's campus. Um, to family, friends, and then my girlfriend at the time was still a senior in high school, um, and she was selling on our high school campus, which in hindsight, I mean, throwing around beer bottles on a high school campus is probably not the best thing. <laughs> but, I mean, nobody nobody thought about it, so. But you never got shut down by the health department or anything like that? No, no, no. I, because that, that does happen. Yeah, it does happen for sure. Um, I'm very fortunate that we caught on quick to what we needed to start changing in, in terms of health regulation and stuff so like that. How long were you selling out of your backpack? Uh, we did that for about three months. So bottle, you know, just selling individual bottles for yep. what? Three bucks a pop? Six dollars. Six dollars for one bottle? Six dollars a bottle. And people, and people bought them. Bought them. And just cash? Did yeah. you have a square app or anything like that? No, or you no. Just, it was it's cash on the business? Yeah. So you looked like a drug dealer. No, I literally with, was yeah. a drug dealer of coffee. That's funny. But yeah, it was a really cool experience and... I mean, selling a bottle of coffee for $6 was absolutely outrageous. Oh, I can't but, even believe it. Yeah, I can't believe people bought it. But the fact that people were buying it showed me there's something to this experience oh, yeah. that needs to be grown. That's really interesting. So I remember seeing the first branding that you had on the bottles, and that's just kind of what you did like in-house, right? You mm-hmm. just kind of made that, had your branding. Recently, I've seen, you know, you've updated the branding, you've done all that, so... Um, is there a reason you did that? You just wanted to look more official going in as you start trying to like find offices and retail environments to be in? Yeah, yeah. That was definitely more of it. Um, and that came with the funding part of it. So okay. um, we got funded through an entrepreneurship con- uh, contest at Trinity, oh, uh, the yeah. Stumber competition, uh, which we were really fortunate to win and just being in that environment really helped us. And then we won the Geekdom Community Fund as well. Um, which how, is, how does that work? What is that? Uh, so that's a fund provided by uh, Geekdom in San Antonio. And basically, if you're a Geekdom member for, I think it's six months or something like that, um, 
you can pitch your business uh, to the community fund, which gives, I think, $25,000 every quarter Oh wow! Um, to businesses that pitch. And we won that, and that was a, a big milestone for us. So, I mean, pretty, pretty soon on, we had sizable capital that wasn't super risk-intensive. Um, so we decided to focus on, okay, what what can we use this money on that's really going to take us to the next step? Right. Um, and I think that's where the branding piece came in because, I mean, we can make good coffees and coffee doesn't cost that much to tinker with, right? We, like, we can buy a different origin and brew it for less than $200. But it has to pop off the shelves. Right. People have to see it. Exactly. People in it. Exactly. Yeah. So the branding piece came, I mean, really soon and was very beneficial. So we contracted uh, Heavy Heavy. Okay. Here in San Antonio. And they did your website too? Yep. They did our website. Um, and we chose those guys because they're very San Antonio focused. They really wanted to bring out the culture of a company um, because if it doesn't have a story, nobody buys it, right? Or at least nobody understands why they're buying that product, which exactly. is what we wanted because we were very focused on educating the consumer on what we're about, where we came from, and things like that. Um so branding became a huge piece, especially as we're trying to get into bigger retail shops. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and it, it just felt right at the time because we were trying to, to speak San Antonio, local, craft, South Texas coffee, right? Definitely. And our branding was saying, okay, we're West Coast, which is not... Right. It, like, it was super white-walled, minimalist, which is a cool a cool thing, but to a San Antonio consumer, it's like, well, I mean, that's all of Whole Foods, right? So well, Plus, honestly, like, the minimalist look is kind of everywhere. It's exactly. saturated, so it's kind of cool. Once I saw the new branding, I was like, okay, this seems like it fits, you know, yeah. a little bit better. Yeah, and it's... I mean, it's backwards, in a sense, really rustic, because that's what we are as a company. Like, we're small-batch, hand-brewed, bottled-delivered coffee. Yeah, so... The, $25,000. I mean, that's a lot of funding for how old are you? Uh, at the time when we got that, I think I was 20. Okay, you're 20 years old. You get $25,000 by, you know, winning this contest. Uh, and so you get the branding and stuff done, but that's still a lot of money for kind of spreading the, the word for Quick Sip. And, you know, did you did you invest in some equipment for, for cold brew? You yeah. You know, to really kind of like ramp up the operation? Because mm -hmm. at this point, you can kind of scale it and you can start you know, really getting to the market you want to get into. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, once we got that funding, it seemed like every week somebody different was knocking on our door wanting our coffee. That's awesome. Um, so we would go from two clients to three to five to ten to now close to 15 um, and now branching out into Austin and Houston and things like so that. So you're already branching out into other, to yeah. other cities. Yeah, okay. so that's really cool for us. Um, and that funding provided kind of a cushion um, to buying equipment for that. I mean, figuring out just a bottling line was something that I had never done before. Um, exactly. And the expense of that is just astronomical. Yeah, it's huge. Um, so having that cushion allowed me to to take some time and figure out, okay, how do we do this in the most efficient, cost-effective, but high-quality way possible? So your coffee right now, you're in several retail shops, but you're also really expanding and to the office market, like places like Geekdom and other you know offices with 15 people all the way up to 100, 150 people. Yeah. Uh, and they're going through coffee like crazy. You install you know nitro tanks for them and keg raters and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So kind of what have you learned from that process? And, and you know, are you kind of a one-man band? You're out there doing the marketing and the installations. And, uh, I mean, how many employees do you have? Yeah, Tell yeah. a little about that. So there are about uh, six of us in our company now. Um, most of it's family and friend-oriented. Um, cool. Just because, I mean, they're the ones that are passionate about it just as much as I am, which is super cool. Um, and, yeah, we, we do a lot of corporate office accounts now. Um, I'd say... What I learned most from that experience was how to build a kegerator and fix one, um, which was something that I didn't expect to know how to do, but um, I learned it really quick because when somebody has a gas leak and they can't get coffee in two days. Yeah, um, and you learn, you learn new skills you never knew you had. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's been a fun ride in that sense, and also that, that atmosphere provides the quickest and most efficient education possible for specialty oh, coffee. Because... It's free for most people in the corporate office because mm-hmm. um, the company provides it. So they can basically go on, go to the tap whenever they want and get coffee. Um, and it's extreme exposure because when you have a company of, or an office of about 100 to 150 people, I mean, you're having a lot of people trying this new coffee experience that they otherwise wouldn't have tried because they didn't want to pay for it. And then they're saying, wow, this coffee is absolutely amazing, or it's so weird, I want to try it again. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the coffee shop, right? So we serve as like a, a marketing tool for local coffee shops and just the coffee community as a whole, which is something that we really wanted to do. Because, I mean, when I started, I drank Keurig coffees, and I, when I had my first cup of specialty coffee, it was like, this needs... It's a really cool way to look at it. You're like an intermediary, because essentially... People who work in an office that might not normally go to a specialty coffee shop will yep. have your coffee just mm-hmm. at the office because it's free. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get to go, yeah, that's really cool. They say, well, where can I find something like this or this kind of experience yep. again, which is really cool. Yeah. I mean, you're, yeah, that helps the whole specialty coffee mm-hmm. arena. And I think that's awesome. Um, so if people want to find Quick Sip today, if they're listening in San Antonio and they want to go grab a bottle, like right now, where could they go? Yeah. Um, so we sell at a couple of Shipley's Donuts locations. Um, Probably the closest one to the city center would be on Bitters and Blanco. Um, we saw all Commonwealth Coffee House locations, um, and then Royal Blue Grocery. Then well. the new Royal Blue that just opened. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, so, what's on the horizon, man? Like, what do you, what's what's going on for Quick Sip next? Is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, right now we're working on a third coffee. Um, not sure what it's going to be yet. Trying to find even more of a middle ground between um, kind of the flavored coffee and to the specialty coffee. Interesting. So, using a more mellow bean, something with a classic coffee profile, um, maybe a, a Colombian um, or a Brazilian bean. Just so it's really mellow, really smooth, but a good cup of classic coffee. A Guatemalan could be really exactly. good for something like that. Yeah, that'd, exactly. that'd be awesome. So third flavor in the works. Um, and until then, you're just continuing to expand. Are you looking to expand more right now? Um, are you kind of pumping the brakes until you can get the infrastructure built up to produce more? Or you know? Oh, we're, we're always pushing. So uh, kind of a little bit more back to the funding aspect. What that allowed us to do was create a facility that was had a capacity way more than what we're at right now. Right. So we could scale really fast. So where are you brewing right now? So we brew down on South Laredo Street. Um, uh, we brew in a commercial kitchen there and have the equipment to, to service a lot more than what we're doing right now, which is good for us. So that way we can push sales. All so the you, time. Have, you have room to grow. Yeah. 
definitely. Um, and that was something that I wanted to make sure of. That way we could always be ready for that next client to come in. That's awesome. And uh, when Are you bottling by hand or you have a little um, conveyor belt type thing? Like uh, so we have a bottling machine, uh, but it's still bottled by hand. So nothing that we do is done by a machine. So everything is brewed by hand. The coffee is selected by hand, essentially. Yep. You're brewing it. You're bottling it. You're delivering it. I mean, did everything is set yep. up by Everything hand right is now. by hand, which is something that we wanted to make sure we spoke in our branding and just kind of our mission as a company because we wanted people to have the highest quality coffee experience they could in the like most convenient form. That's awesome, man. I think it sounds great. Well... What's your website? How can people get in touch with you if they want it in their corporate office or their retail shop? And um, yeah, let people know how to get Yeah, definitely. Uh, so our website is uh, quicksipcoffee.com. We're on all social media, um, which is just at quicksipcoffee. Uh, if you're interested in getting your, our great coffee in your office, um, you can email me at jacob at quicksipcoffee.com. Um, and we're just super excited to be out in the on the field and you're, you're how many years old now? 21. No, the business. Oh, the, the business is about two and a half years old two, now. Man, so in two and a half years, you, I mean, you're, you're on your way, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, good luck. Congratulations. Thanks. And, uh, yeah, man. We'll, uh, we're going to see a lot more of you in the future. Hopefully so. Cool, man. Thanks for listening to Building Something Out of Nothing. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ed, that's ed6238, at gmail.com. As always, you can visit either one of our locations seven days a week. Our roastery and first location is over at Warehouse 5 at 1333 Buena Vista Street. And our second location that opened up just over two months ago is at 1010 South Flores Street in the vibrant neighborhood of Southtown. If you'd like to serve Shotgun House coffee roasters in your restaurant, cafe, or office, shoot us a quick email at orders at shotgunhouseroasters.com or contact me anytime at 254-913-9031. Thanks, guys.